Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 55. I am your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we are welcoming back our good friend and acclaimed sci-fi and comic book author, Mike Luoma. Mike, uh, we were just checking it out. You, you, you were on on episode eight last year, and uh, needless to say, uh, things were winding up a bit um, as, as the world goes uh, last, last March or April when we talked, and... Uh, and Ooh. here we are, almost a year later. We're still here, man. <laughs> yeah, still going. We're all little pink Energizer bunnies, you know. Boom, boom, yeah. boom. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Cabin fever has reached whole new levels. It's, it's yeah. incredible. <laughs> there was a there was a word I can't remember. It was it was a it was a Finnish word called. It was and I'd have to look it up and uh, I'll put an, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. It basically means like sustained long term. Um, uh, like, um, like hanging in there, kind of like there's a word for it for like long winters, and uh, and I'm sure the Finns would have that word. I, yeah. Lu Luoma is a Finnish name. My dad's family are all Finnish, so oh really? Okay, yep. wow. Yep. Okay, <laughs> yeah, the, fin the Finns are are kind of gloomy people. Let me just say, <laughs> well, you know, you don't see the sun half a year. It kind of does that to you. Yeah. And as of this recording, I am, I'm one of those people that will, I, I, I count the minutes of extra daylight we have compared to December 21st, which was the shortest mm. day of the, to, as of this recording, uh, you know, today on January 28th, we have 50 extra minutes of daylight. So it's, it's creeping up. So, you know, I, I'm just waiting for when that sunset goes past 5 p.m. We're almost there. Yeah. In the Champlain Valley where I am. So it's like, hmm, watching it. Come on, <laughs> get past five. Let's do it. <laughs> well, I think next the, the Monday. Other, yeah. You know, the other thing I like to do is go out and, and lately over the last year or so, I've been checking out a lot of stonework. And you can't do that when it's covered with snow and the days are short. So yeah. I'm looking forward to longer days and less snow. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah. And so let's, let's chat, chat about that. That's been, you know, it's like, you know, I follow you on Patreon, you know, and I subscribe to your YouTube channel. I have a great time, um, you know, just, you know, following your work and, and yeah, so this is, where did this, where did this passion come from of, of stonework? I'll, we'll, we'll pull up your, your website here. Uh, so yeah, talk a bit about this. This is interesting. Well, it, it's, it's actually pandemic related because okay. I, I've been studying a lot about Native American earthworks, stoneworks, mounds, geometric earthworks. There's a lot of a lot of them down in like the Ohio Valley. Um, there's there's some all over the eastern seaboard, and I I wanted to take a trip and go see these places last summer. That was what I was like gearing up for was was a road trip, okay. and then of course the pandemic hit. And at the same time the pandemic hit, I had started to notice that people were researching the stoneworks around New England, not just as possible colonial things, or as some people had in the past said, maybe Celtic or Viking stone, you know, um, ruins. Right. Uh, there were people saying that they, these were maybe native American. And so with that in mind, I started to, to check out a lot more sites and not being able to travel to other places, I started to look around Vermont. So 
I went to some of the chambers that are in Southern Vermont, like Calendar 1 and Calendar 2. Uh, I read an amazing book called Manitou, which is by James Maver and Byron Dix. And these guys were active in the, the 80s. Mm. book came out in 1989. And they were some of the first people to say, you know, some of the stonework may be Native American. Mm. And it may have astronomical alignments. And so it's it's been kind of a... I don't know, an awakening to see all this history that's all around us. And the more places I go, the more things I'm finding, things I don't expect to find. Sometimes I'll just be on a hiking trip and step off the trail for social distancing, and all of a sudden I'm discovering new stoneworks. It's pretty amazing. So I started doing videos because people like to see what I was putting out there. And I've started my own Facebook group called ancient stone mysteries of new england huh so okay. it's kind of just taken a on a life of its own the more i've done the more people are interested in it and the more people are telling me about places i should come see which okay. is cool and and so how how much of this was the, the, the stonework here what have you learned over this past year of discovering things that you that actually even surprised you well i i've found things that i still can't quite explain which Ooh, is pretty okay. cool. Um, there's a ridge in the south part of the Chittenden County area called Raven Ridge or Moncton Ridge. It's right in the north part of Moncton and where Heinsberg and Charlotte come together. And that ridge, when I was hiking it this summer, I, that's one of the places I had to step off the trail because people were hiking and, mm. you know, socially distant from each other and, some people aren't good about wearing masks when they should be. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a peeve, but um, yeah. you know. So I stepped off the trail and I started to notice that the ridge itself was like worked, like it had been shaped. There were mm -hmm. stones added to it, and it appears to me, and this is still very preliminary, but it appears to me that it may be a sea serpent effigy, like they turned the whole top of this ridge into a sea serpent and it has a, a really striking natural feature called an autocline. And that's okay. a fold in the rock where the rock actually like, like one set of, of plates hit another set of plates and the rock folded up and over. So it's a curled part of the rock and they call it the oven because it kind of looks like an old stone oven, but it's a natural feature. But I think that the native Americans considered that the mouth of the serpent there mm. at the ridge. So I'm just starting the research on that. I've also like gone to sites in Massachusetts because my mom still lives down there and that's where I grew up. And a lot of this research began with guys in Massachusetts going out and discovering that some of these stone works and stone walls were more complex and had like effigy works woven into them and such. Um, I've actually gone out in places in Massachusetts and found things at sites where things have been located already. I found things that hadn't been discovered yet, which wow. was pretty cool. That happened um, a few months back. I was down at a place called Gates Pond near my hometown. And I was looking for some things that somebody else had posted on about 11 years ago or nine years ago. Um, and then I found this wall and I followed it along the swamp. And, and it looked to me to be a Native American construction based on the fact of how it was constructed. There's, you know, different techniques and different styles. And once you eliminate the European styles, you start to see this kind of single row stonework that has 
like shapes and curves and sort of sinuous lines to it. And some of them zigzag, but not in like a, a, a sort of um, geometric sort of way, but more in a sinuous sort of way. Right. So these, these walls almost resemble snakes. And there's some theories that think that native Americans may have built these as like fire breaks because they did kind of controlled burns to keep the forests in check and make it easier to travel through. They, they did a lot more than we know now. And we're learning all the time how much more complex their society was and how much they lived in harmony with the land and yet used the land and, you know, did a kind of agricultural lifestyle that was really harmonious and, and wasn't as destructive as our Western ways have been. Mm. So um, there's been some cool things that I've found along the way. That's for sure. And and so who do you, and so when you once you started doing this and 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 researching a lot of these rock formations, what what have you been be able to? As you you said, you started a Facebook group. You even found a lot of like minded folks. And have you found any like 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 academic researchers who've been able to help you guide you in certain directions as well? Yeah, there um there isn't a lot of them. There, it's not uh, an accepted thing in, in mainstream archaeology. I find um, the Massachusetts historical preservation archaeologists particularly are hostile to this idea. Really? Because it gets, it gets in the way of development, and they seem to be very friendly uh, with developers down there. Yeah. Right. Um, but there, there is a, an archaeologist at Bridgewater University in Massachusetts named Curtis Hoffman. He has a book out, came out in 2018, called Stone Prayers. And I've been in touch with him now. He, uh, he's been cataloging sites up and down the eastern seaboard. And since his book came out, he's added like 700 sites to his index and just added that new wall I found in uh, Massachusetts to the index last month. Oh, so wow. that's kind of cool. Um, I'm starting to report sites to him. There's there's also another group called the New England Antiquities Research Association, or NERA, and huh. they've been going since the 60s, and they're amateurs, avocational archaeologists, and people who are interested in this sort of field work. And those guys I was mentioning earlier, Maver and Dix, who wrote the book Manitou, were members of this group, NERA. So I've become a member of that group, just had our first Zoom meeting with them um, last weekend, which was cool. But I'm starting to report stuff to them as well. And they have a database of things that they've discovered over the last, you know, 50 or so years. So, And, and they, how does that work? Like when you find something, is it almost like peer reviewed where you'd say you have to take picture of the, the and, and at what point do, is it um, uh, like, like how would you determine, like how, how like you and others would determine like it's, um, you know, geologically formed, or this is actually, there's ways to tell that it was actually um, uh, intentionally made. It's so young right now. Right. And there's so few people that are doing this that it's, it's very preliminary. Um, there's very few peers to review mm. what, what we're doing, but because there are peers out there, like I mentioned, there's that, that Curtis Hoffman is the archeologist from, from Bridgewater University. He's got a book out. He also participates on a blog called Rock Piles, which is out of Massachusetts. A guy from Concord, Mass, has been doing this for, God, 25 years, something more than that. He um, 
He doesn't belong to Nero, though, because he likes to tell people where sites are. And Nero believes you have to keep the site secret because you don't want vandals and other people to do damage. Okay. And and that's part of the worry, too, is that I want to share what I'm finding with people, but I don't want people going there and taking things away. Right. You know, the only thing I take is pictures. Right. And um, and when I do, what I do is I'll, I'll share the details on that with, with a, an archaeologist, tell them where they are. Cause he's not actively disseminating that information. Yeah. And then when I share it on Facebook, I make sure there's no identifying information unless it's a, a public place like Raven Ridge that I was mentioning earlier that I gave the details on because it's publicly open. There aren't things that you can remove, so to speak. And, um, and like I say, that, that, that is a very preliminary thing as well, where yeah. I actually wrote to the Vermont state archeologist about that. And have not gotten any responses to my emails from him. Um, so maybe he thinks I'm a kook. I don't know. Yeah. I, I also wrote to this, uh, the, the Dean of Ohio archeology. span He's, you know, been working on mounds and he's an authority on their serpent mound. There, there's a prominent serpent mound in Ohio. His name is Dr. Brad Lepper and Brad got back to me. He said, basically I'm short staffed because of the pandemic and I can't look at what you've sent me. Um, but watch out for pareidolia, which is our tendency to see faces and things in clouds. Right. And, you know, we do as, as humans have a tendency to, to try to impose order on things. And so we do see, you know, like faces on the fronts of cars and shapes and clouds and things like that. And whenever I'm looking at stuff, that's one thing I have to be very careful of is, am I just imposing my own order on it? Right. Right. But <laughs> But it's uh, like I said, it's such a young science, and it it's so open right now. There's there's no there's no real established way to get your stuff approved, and and the official journals of archaeology aren't necessarily open to amateurs like me. Mm. And 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 so, and this is kind of, is is this also like extremely specific to like North America or is there like for like in other places of Europe, is there still, you know, ancient archeology span of discovering, uh, you know, rock formations that are, uh, that, that, that people haven't either forgotten a long time ago or just haven't discovered yet. Oh, it's, it, yeah. It happens all around the world. Okay. Yeah. There, um, there are similar like beehive shaped chambers to the ones that we've seen in some places in new England mm. in like, only Scotland, up up in northern Scotland, um, but they don't know who built them there either. Huh. So, you know, any speculation that it was Scottish people came over here and built them? Well, maybe it was people that came from here and went over there and built them. We 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 just don't know at this point. And anything more is speculation, you know. Right. And it's 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 fascinating because it is so open, right. and. At the same time, pseudo-archaeology is, is a problem because you get the people talking about ancient aliens and, you know, coming up with really bizarre theories about exploration. And because of what I'm looking into and the fact that it's not in the norm, I get kind of lumped in with those people in a lot of cases. <laughs> the hollow earthers and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so... 
so 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 talk to us a bit about because you said you you started you you started doing this you know pull up your so you know you know check out you know youtube you know like uh mike luoma he's here uh you have on here you you've made you made some of these videos that they're, they're fascinating they're extremely fascinating um and it's and it's and i would tell you too this is great pandemic watching videos because it's <laughs> there's this calm atmosphere about it you know and it's and also too it, you're actually able to explore outside while not going outside so and so as a you know as a writer are you are you getting inspiration from this from from like your creative hat as well from some of the stuff that you've been seeing you know i think that it informs my stuff you know mm -hmm. um i can't say that it's directly impacting it but okay. in general, I think what I find is that, well, in the current book, I've got a, a, an alien race that's a bit like a, a Native American race. So mm -hmm. I would say that's probably a direct correlation. Although, you know, they're their own race, too, because I didn't want to be, like, insulting towards Native Americans. Right. I wanted to create something entirely new to have an entirely new race, but I wanted them to have kind of a... A harmonious way of looking at things as opposed to our western way of looking at things right right so that there there's some of that filtering into the new book i would say okay and 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 so how how far are you on on on, on your new book this is your, your your alibi alibi jones book yeah this is going to be probably the last of the alibi jones adventures at least for now because okay um the the i i'd like to see the audience grow but at this mm -hmm. point it's it's a small but dedicated audience and i want to wrap up what i've been telling because star seeds of earth the last novel that i put out this past may that kind of leaves things open and i want to not put a bow on it but but bring things back to earth so to speak because they're okay. they the the last novel ended up who knows where actually um I threw alibi and and the the hornet's nest out into the middle of nowhere, and I'm um, part of that. Part of the new novel is fi them figuring out where that is and how they get back. And part of the novel is also what happens here since they've disappeared. So it it's it, it's kind of grand in scope and scale. Uh huh. There's even some mythic elements that I'm tying in. In the Star Seeds of Earth, I introduced a character who called himself the Archmage that Alibi ran into under a Vermont mountain. <laughs> and you're going to find out who that Archmage is because he is actually somebody out of like mythic history. Really? Okay. Yes. Um, All right. And so he's involved in this, although telling you how would be giving too much away. And, and do you feel because as as a writer and you're 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 tying up your series, is there is there any point where you have to at this point do you have to reread your books to find out there's some story seeds that you you planted that you haven't gone there? Are you are you making sure that there's um, all loose ends are tied? Or are you deliberately leaving some open for future installments? Well, I'm going to leave some open deliberately, and some I'm sure will just be left open accidentally but <laughs> also the thing about having a, a great and dedicated like core of readers is that people ask you questions all the time about your books and they're like hey what about this you know and like um 
So Star Seeds of Earth began with a character coming back, Mark Edwards, who hadn't been around since the Vatican Assassin books. Wow, and, okay. And Alibi's down on this Vermont mountain looking for a, a chamber, <laughs> stone chambers. I was actually <laughs> writing about them before I stepped into one because I was wow. fascinated by them, you know? Okay. And I had kept trying to get people to take me to see one, but I hadn't managed to line that up yet. Once I, once I wrote about them, I started to be able to go see them, which I don't want to, you know, speculate too much on coincidences or anything. But that was pretty cool. <laughs> the other thing that was weird is in the book, in the alibi book, he, he's, he, he's trying to get to this chamber and he has to go through all these blackberry bushes and brambles and thorns. Well, it turns out that's like real life. Really? In, in real life, when you're going to these places, a lot of times you have to go through like thickets and brambles. And I was like, ah, oh, I didn't know that was real. I was making that up. I wish that wasn't real. <laughs> but so, yeah, I brought that character, Mark Edwards, back to be the guy who owned the land that Alibi was on in Vermont. And he had retired from his job on the moon, which is where we had known him in Vatican Assassin. But the reason I brought him back was because a couple of readers were like, hey, Whatever happened to Mark Edwards? And I was yeah. like, you know, that's a good question. Yeah, oh, that's what happened to him, you know. And like all of a sudden, he kind of interceded. His character just popped back up. Some of these characters take on lives of their own, you know. And so they're like, hey, I'm right here. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll I'll connect back up with you. So, <laughs> so, so I don't know. You... I'll I'll miss some things, you know, continuity wise. But I'm sure readers will probably be asking questions, and that might lead to a new book down the road. Right. And, and you feel as like, and this is um, uh, that you feel like this is good. This is going to be a good, you know, like, like th th was this always your plan to have uh, th have that many volumes to Alibi Jones? I didn't know I was going to have this many, actually. I thought you okay. know, maybe there would be the first three that I wrote. Um, I didn't even know if it would take off enough for me to write a second book though, because I'm a DIY guy. I put out all my own stuff and so I have to be honest with myself if something isn't working, which is right. what I'm doing with this current run on Alibi. It's saying, okay, if I want to expand readership, I've got to write a different subject, a different book, different characters so that people can step into it. Right. But at the same time, I, I kept writing the Alibi books because there was a readership and they did take off and people did enjoy them. Right. And, and a lot of people who read the Vatican Assassin books came through into the next series. It seemed to, to be pretty seamless. And um, I was trying to also write Alibi Jones comics and, and books at the same time to, to see if I could like cross-pollinate those audiences. But I found that was the harder thing to do. I could really? get Vatican Assassin readers to read Alibi's prose, but I couldn't get Alibi Jones comic book readers to, to read Alibi prose. And I still have a hard time getting Alibi's prose readers to read comics. <laughs> Honest God, it's it's a strange thing. And so you're still, and your 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 plan is still to um, produce the the Alibi Jones comic books in successions to catch up to the Alibi Jones book series. No, actually, um, I'm I'm putting a lid on the Alibi comics too for now. Really? Okay. I think I, I may do a, a treasury or a compilation because Alibi's stories are, are all short stories. So they don't become a graphic novel. Right. Except in, in name only, you know, I could put them together as a, as an anthology that would be kind of like an Alibi graphic novel. 
And I thought of doing that because there is one story that isn't available in a in an alibi comic, and that's the one that was in Always Punch Nazis, the uh, Alibi Jones story, The Legacy. Mm -hmm. Now, with what's recently gone on, I just made that story free on my website. So if you go to glowinthedarkradio.com, you'll see at the top of the page there, it says read Alibi Jones, The Legacy, and you can, oh, great, yeah. That, that's that story that previously has only been available in Always Punch Nazis. But it's um, it's Alibi Jones punching Nazis. Or because Juan Carlos drew it that way, kicking Nazis. <laughs> like, Juan Carlos, how come they're not punching? He's like, what? It's a kick punch. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that, that series is amazing. Actually, the, the Always Punch Nazis series. They just released their, their third uh, book in the anthology. And proud to have been a part of that and to, you know, be standing up against yeah. fascism, basically. So. Right. Yeah. And and also what else uh, in this 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 past year since we talked as well, you just also had your 15th anniversary edition of Vatican Assassin come out, correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's been fun. Um, that just happened in December. December, I think, 15th or so marked the 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 15th anniversary mm -hmm. i really put it out just as i was turning 40 so <laughs> uh, 55 Woo. Woo. <laughs> um, yeah and i was gonna say and what is your um what's what's different in the 15th like so for somebody that 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 might own vatican assassin uh what would they find different in the 15th and the 15th anniversary edition well there there was a hope when i first started working on this that i was going to have 10 new interior illustrations from federico guillen mm -hmm. but then his his father got covid um okay and so he was forced to to you know, abandon the project on that level, but he did finish the, the painting, the cover painting. So unfortunately it doesn't have a lot that's new. Although I did update the text and make sure that everything continuity wise now matches. Cause there were a few things that I don't know, changed along the way that I didn't realize changed along the way. <laughs> yeah, you know, first novel. And the, the thing that I, I really, had a lot of fun making a, a special audiobook version of this where I was able to get about seven friends of mine from the world of podcasting and audiobook narration to act as as guests, as cameo voices in the audiobook. So there's actually guest voices playing some of the characters in the Vatican Assassin 15th anniversary edition audiobook. That's amazing. So I've got like what my my classiest one would probably be Scott Sigler. Scott is a New York Times best-selling author who uh, came up at, through the the Podio Books ranks in, as a podcaster like me, and he was kind enough to agree to do the voice of Daniel McIntyre, which he's great at. And uh, and I've got Dave Robison who has an amazing voice. He, his website for his voice work is buttery man voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's doing the light and he is just so like champion, you know, it's just like so perfect. It's, it's, it's so much fun. And I've got Keith Hughes doing the voice of Cardinal Anderson, the great uh, Veronica Jaguar, who's an amazing audiobook narrator. She does Meredith McIntyre. Um, 
There's uh, Starla Hutchton, who is another great narrator. She's got the voice part for Nita Bendix. And uh, another author and, and podcaster whose books I enjoy, um, Paul Cooley, is doing the voice of uh, Drex the Pilot. Okay. And uh, John Moreau, who's another podcaster and author who I enjoy, he's got the voice of Mr. Wentworth. So it's, it's spread through all, all throughout the book. You hear these, these different voices in the audiobook version. And it was oh. a lot of fun to put together. These people all friends of mine coming, coming to my aid. <laughs> so like, so, you know, having like, um, you know, you know, authors that might be listening to this or watching this would, would ask is like, how did you do Cause you self publish. How were you able to actually also produce an audio book of that? And is that audio book is that, and that's available on Amazon as well as an audio book. How did you get that together? Well, I've been doing audio books since I've been doing books because I've been podcasting my books. Right. So, uh, I began originally just putting out a chapter a week and that was a way to, to get my book out in front of more people and generate interest in it. And then I, you know, audiobooks started to become a thing. So I put them all together and it was kind of like my own work turned into narrating other books for other people. And if you're an author and you want to get involved, there's like a backdoor site for Amazon and audible called ACX. Okay. So ACX.com is where you'd go. If you're an author and you're even a self publisher or a small press, you can go there and hire a narrator and actually have them produce an audiobook for you. Although it's going to cost a bit of money. It's a whole new format. It's like hiring a, uh, you know, inker or hiring a colorist or, you know, an editor, you're, you're going to have to pay some money because you're creating a whole different version of a book mm. in mm. a new format. Um, I also come from the world of radio. So my background allowed me to, to, to do this stuff and give me the background technically to be able to do it myself. Right. And it was that something like almost as you say, the level of self-publishing is, could you just use like the, like, like you did using the podcast platform to then, split up because i also subscribe to glow in the dark radio which is uh always always and and that that is you're on i think last year we talked about it you were knocking on episode 700 was it no 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 i'm i'm actually uh, about to hit episode 600 like in a day or two i'll be making oh, okay. the 600th episode yeah oh no maybe it was episode 500 yeah i it remember was it was 500 yeah yeah it was like a it was a i remember so i mean and, and that just goes to show that you've been doing this for yeah for quite a long time and and would that be like an option for someone that has a that finding somebody who has a good radio voice to um you know turn it into like like that as like a, as a podcast or reading it chapter by chapter but like you said you can't upload that to amazon then right well a podcast is different from from an audiobook. Right. Okay. Interestingly enough, Amazon has just started carrying podcasts. Oh wow. So my podcast is now on Amazon. So you can say Alexa play glow in the dark radio. Hold on a sec. Alexa stop. <laughs> I got the headphones on so they didn't hear my my mine didn't hear you say it. <laughs> yeah. But you you can just say to her to play glow in the dark radio and she will, which is cool yeah. now. Um <laughs> 
<laughs> Whoa, hey. I thought of that as I was saying it. I was like, wait, wait. <laughs> no, everybody that's been listening to this or watching it will have to then <laughs> make sure their Alexas didn't light up too. So Yeah. But um no, I, I the the books themselves it, it you'd have to have a complete book to get it up on Amazon and on Audible as an audiobook. Okay. That's the only way they they take those. So. Right. Okay. All right. Um uh, and 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 also and also that you know as you mentioned this you know this past year you had your 15th, 15th anniversary you're working on your your final Alibi Jones books doing a lot of um research and discovery of you know ancient you know you know stone structures uh and tell what else have you um what else have you been up to this uh during this 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 the the year of the pandemic man you know trying to find ways to keep myself entertained so i don't lose my mind you know uh, i i did i put an interesting thing together that people who are who are comic fans and audiobook fans might inter find interesting last month i took the images from uh alibi jones comic book short story okay called alibi jones in over his head that Juan carlos quatorio illustrated okay and I sliced up all the, the images so that, you know, they were freed from their panels. And then I made a video of it where I put the, the images to the audiobook narration. Cause I, I, I've actually adapted all of my comic book short stories to audiobook form too. Oh, wow. Okay. So with this new version, what I'm calling an illustrated audio piece or just illustrated audio, you can, watch these images go by and listen to me tell the story. So that's on my YouTube channel as well. If you go to the YouTube channel, you can, you can watch Alibi Jones in over his head. And it's basically an illustrated audiobook where I'm narrating the story, but you get to see Juan Carlos's images come up in, in sequential order there. Oh, wow. Okay. Where so this is what it, this is it right here. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this was had a blast doing this at first. And then it becomes like, what, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> and, and once I start something, I got to finish it. So, you know, I did. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and so, and so, and what kind of, what kind of format did you use for what your, your editing software for this? How did you put this together? I've been using some free software that I actually ended up buying um, like a, a, a licensed version of called VSDC that works on the PC. Okay. And I actually, I, I learned a lot doing videos for WBKM for the radio station that I'm a part of. Okay. Cause we started doing WBKM virtual in studio videos of, of indie artists playing their songs in their bedrooms and, and apartments. We started doing that in 2018. Uh, now, all of a sudden, you know, with the pandemic, everybody's been doing just that, which has been kind of weird to see. But I started making videos like that a couple of years ago. And then having taught myself how to make those videos for WBKM, I started making the videos that I've been putting out about the stone chambers. Mm -hmm. those, those stone chamber videos have gotten great reaction. So I keep doing them. Right. And I've learned more doing those. And it's like each of these things feeds back on the other. And I try to keep each of my, you know, different creative things 
sort of cross-pollinating and and feeding each other. And what what have I learned from this that I can apply here? You know, right. What as you know, as a creator and as a, you know, a content creator, as an author, what do you do to to stay inspired? Or is it are there been there been days where you know you're just like I'm just not going to work. I'm just not going to worry about it. Like, how do you make sure that you 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 keep that motivation moving over for you? I think these days you have to be really forgiving. Yeah. You know, I think you have to be forgiving of yourself and you have to allow yourself to have days where you get nothing done Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, um, we all have to be kind to ourselves right now right. because it is such a hard time. So I try not to be too much of a taskmaster. I still, I still hold myself to a, a high standard as far as productivity goes. I like to be productive. I like to get stuff out. Um, but at the same time, I think if I've learned anything, it's it's over this last year to be a little kinder to myself and mm. and not strive too hard. Right. And do you have uh, do you have any fear of, uh, of of any issues of 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 burnout because of like say for instance like your podcast and your your Patreon page which we can talk about in a little bit where you feel like there's an obligation that you have to keep producing or have you have you seen that um, you haven't seen that demand from your from your from your readers or your listeners? Um, I think there's more of an expectation on my part because I feel like I've made a promise to people mm. in in starting this kind of thing. Right. Um, so when. Like, for example, with the Alibi Jones book being the, the next one will be the last. That book's not going to be out for another eight months easily. Right. Um, so I'm looking way down the road when I look at stuff. If I was going to stop the podcast or stop doing some stuff for my Patreon, I think I would have to do so with, like, a lot of warning. Just mm. because I feel like in both those cases, what I'm doing is is kind of engaged in a promise that it's going to be coming back. Right. Um, and that's the way I look at it. And I feel like I'd be letting myself down if I didn't continue it. And having done it now for, you know, since 2006, it's, uh, this is all, you know, in September of, of 21, it will be 15 years of the podcast. Wow. You know, never, never mind 600 episodes. It'll be 15 years of doing it. Having, stuck through periods where I have been in that, like, Oh my God, what am I doing this for? Yeah. I don't want to do this. This is, uh, this sucks. This is dirt. <laughs> you know, it's like there, there, there are times you get to that point, but I've learned if you just get through it, it's rewarding to get to the other side. And then you're on the other side and you look back and you go, thank God I didn't give up then. Right. Right. Yeah. You know? So there's, there's a certain amount of momentum and a certain amount of, of history that just keeps pushing you. Right. And, 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 and let's talk a bit, a bit about, uh, cause I don't think last year we, 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 uh, we, we, we talked in detail about your Patreon page is, you know, myself as someone who's a, who's a member of your Patreon, I, I love the stuff that you're putting out. Um, and talk to us a bit about some of your, um, your, your levels on here. Um, your, your tears, you got your igniters, your illuminators and your radiance. Uh, do you want to talk to people who are who are interested that 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 follow you? That what would they be getting for this um, for the, each one of these subscriptions? Well, the two dollar level, I I started as kind of just a, a almost like 
a membership level. If you like the podcast and you want to support it, here's a way to do so. Mm. And when I first was starting Patreon, I wasn't sure anybody was going to do it, like actually sign up. But it was, it was through a, a few conversations at, at Balticon over the years with a couple of different authors and, and podcasters. They were like, look, just do it because people want to support what you do. And this gives them an opportunity to do so. So that's where that level came from. And then I, I thought, well, maybe it will start a $5 level, which will be for people that really want to commit, want to help keep the lights on, you know, keep paying for the podcast. And, you know, maybe I can give them some extra stuff like um, an extra book or, you know, free stuff here and early, early releases, things of that nature. Okay. So that's what the, the $5 level became. And then I figured, well, you know, maybe one or two people might want to do the $10 thing. So I created a $10 level and I said, you know, for that, you'll get a special gift. And there's only been a couple of people who have done, have done that. What I found is that the people who have done that have been like, you know what? I don't need a special gift. I'm just doing this because I want to support what you're doing. Right. Which has been awesome. Um. And, and I don't really differentiate too much between what I give all the levels, but there are some things that the five and $10 level people will get that the $2 level people don't. Right. But that's rare. It's a, you get pretty much a lot at $2. Well, yeah. And now it looks like you get to update it. Cause it says almost 500 shows and counting. Now you got to have it say almost 600 now and counting. So. And I'll have to fix that, man. It's been a while. <laughs> God, sometimes this DIY stuff is just a matter of chasing your own tail through the internet, you know? <laughs> oh, got to update that. Got to update this. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's like, you know, always the optimist. I mean, we're here in Vermont. We're the first state to actually have more people vaccinated than who have actually got COVID. So, you know, thumbs up on, thumbs up in, you know, Vermont right there. So uh, we're... We're we're rounding the corner. Um, what would be what would what would, what were some of the things that surprised that you were surprised by yourself over this past year? Surprised by? Yeah. Maybe how little it changed my routine. <laughs> I'm not that social a person, and I had already started doing a lot of work at home. Right. Okay. Um, so it's like. All of a sudden, everybody else had to live in Mike world. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think uh, the the disappointing thing has just been the the how much I've missed traveling to see my mom right, right now, um, and and to see family members. And um, I think the the surprising thing was discovering all the stonework because my plan had been to go on this trip because I thought I had to go to the Midwest to see things that, you know, were ancient Native American workings in this country. And now it turns out, no, 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 there's probably stuff right around the corner that you don't even know about. And, and are you, are you planning on, I mean, it's like, is there, I don't think we, I have specifically asked you this and I asked you, were you inspired by it or were you utilizing it? Um, specific, um, things with doing this. So this is going to be something you're going to be creating more and more. Like for instance, with that, with the, the, the stonework piece, are you, is there any ability to 
add this to any Patreon level, or is this kind of its own side thing where there's there is there going to be inter any intermingling with uh, um, uh, any pieces? Not not getting inspired by it for your creative work, but is there any additions? Like you're going to write a book specifically about this, or and or is there things that you're going to do specific to this based off of things that's not really interconnected with alibi jones and vatican assassin you know that's a really good question <laughs> um yeah i think so i think i i think that the, if i do i think i'm i'm definitely inspired by this so i'm going to keep at it and and you know more and more people are coming forth and telling me about things and I, i'm having more and more interesting conversations i just had a, an interesting um conversation with a stonemason knows a lot about you know historical stonework around vermont trying to get more of a perspective on that but it, then it turned out he's also talked to people about possibly ancient stonework on their property and he's gonna get back to me with some of that i have just found with the 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 stone structures and the stonework research that it has just added it, it just keeps adding to itself it just keeps happening yeah. um so for me, it's it's what's going to happen next. I don't know. I'm going to keep following this and see where it goes. I I've written articles that I, I publish on Medium, and um, I, I write pop culture stuff a lot of times. But I've started writing now about the stoneworks, and one of my most popular articles was just about the ancient stone mysteries of New England. Okay, yeah, and that's right. You mentioned, yeah, you do write some stuff, and, and talk about talk a, talk to us a bit about your some of these uh, pop culture articles that you've been writing for Medium. Well, I um I just had one that came out this week on Babylon Five returning. Really? Okay. So Babylon Five is it, it isn't unfortunately returning with new shows, but they have brought Babylon Five to the HBO Max platform. So if you've never seen Babylon Five. You can now watch the entire five-year arc, and it's a five-year novel for television. So it was like the first one of these are overarching storylines, like the guys from Lost and the guys from Battlestar Galactica. They learned from Babylon 5. It was a huge influence on both of those shows. So a lot of our current kind of television where we have these you know, episodic overarching stories, that all goes back just to Babylon 5. Because nobody had been doing that on American television. Up to that point, if you had a TV show, each week it kind of had to reset, you know, so they could show them out of order and, you know, the reruns would make sense. So, like, on MASH, nobody can die, you know? <laughs> it's like <clears throat> they all have to be back the next week. But right. Babylon 5 was actually the first to have characters that changed and developed. Some left, some got killed. It It actually set the stage for a lot of what's become the norm for TV now in this binge watching streaming age. So it's kind of neat to see Babylon five back. And I just wrote this huge article about that and, you know, about how to watch it and what to look for and things like that. Right. And, and, so, and you also, I remember you, you talked to me last year about that. You also uh, wrote something about guardians of the galaxy as well. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is uh, there's, there's a publication on medium called fanfare. And and they they've been the ones that have published my my stuff on there, so I've I've published an entire like history of the Guardians of the Galaxy from the comics. That's that's older stuff, and I'm working on something now about the Mandalorian. Oh, okay, and, and and how to watch the 
the proper episodes from the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels to get the background for Mandalorian. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So, so yeah, so we haven't talked. So yeah, I think um, last year we talked, we, it was season one already came and left. So what did you, what did you think of season two? It was awesome. (laughs) I was, I was really pleased. I thought um, it was really interesting to see them bring characters out of the animated series, like um, Ahsoka Tano and, and, and um, Bo-Katan. Mm-hmm. And and to have Katie Sackoff play Bo-Katan when she voiced the character as a voice actor, oh, that was awesome. You know, to see <laughs> to, to see that character come alive like that in a literal sense was really cool. Right. But then to see Luke Skywalker at the end, I was just like, no shit. No. <laughs> the, that brought out the 11-year-old me who saw Luke in Star Wars in the movie theaters. You know, it's like that was that was killer. There was a, there's a really, you check it out on YouTube. They actually have that, that whole fight scene with, with Luke Skywalker with, I don't know if you've seen it or not with, um, uh, uh, we hero, we need a hero playing in the background. <laughs> it fits. It's funny how well it fits to it. It's almost like, you know, like, you know, like, you know, like dark side, dark side of Oz where they actually accuse up perfectly to, um, to glory. It was not Gloria Gaynor who sings that, um, we need a hero. I can't remember her name offhand. I don't know who is that. I don't know for a hero. Yeah. Well, anyway, so, but check Bonnie that Tyler? Out. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe Bonnie Tyler. Um, uh, so check, yeah, check that out. That was, uh, that's, that's a really fun, that's a really fun, uh, video. Um, I also think they did a, a neat homage to the movie Sorcerer. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, it was a William Friedkin movie. The guy who made the exorcist made this. Okay. And it, it was, um, um, these guys were transporting nitroglycerin through like the jungle and over like crazy bridges and stuff. And Tangerine Dream did the music and it's like, doom, 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 doom. you know, it's really suspenseful. But then in the Mandalorian, they had that one where they're transporting right. the, the stuff. And, you know, they, they're, they're watching the levels go up and down on the, the dash of how, how like, it's it's getting you know ready to blow in the back well that was a lot like this this sorcerer where they're driving through the jungle and they've got like a glass of water on the dash that they're watching because they know if it starts to move too much the nitroglycerin's gonna blow up in the back and i just thought it was kind of like you know they're paying an homage here The, the cool thing about sorcerer is it came out at the same time as the original star wars movie and it was supposed to be a huge hit but star wars eclipsed it Oh wow! So there's connections okay. there, there, man. There are connections. <laughs> yeah, I, I, they're, they're, they, they must have been deliberate with that. Then must have had that homage. So. But I've never seen any. Yeah, and then the Easter eggs mentioned it. But that's that's interesting. Cool. Um. So yeah, we're we're, we're knocking on the hour already, Mike. That was quick. Oh, man, huh? you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so so what's it? Tell people where they can find you. Glowinthedarkradio.com or mikeluoma.com. Okay. The easiest way, but I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram on Facebook and Twitter. It's just slash Mike Luoma, M I K E L U O M A that trick, tricky finish spelling L U O M A. <laughs> and, um, and on Instagram, it's glow in the dark radio. So. Okay. All right. Um, great. And it was great. It was great. It was great chatting with you again, Mike. This was fun. We should do this. Just always check in and see what you go, what you're, what you're up to. Way too fast, man. I know. (laughs) 
It's like, wait, let me see. Did I, did I pimp everything? Oh, you know what? I, 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 you can get my Vatican assassin, Vatican assassin graphic novel for uh, half price at Comicsology right now. Oh, wow, excellent. Since, okay. Since this is story comic, I should talk about a comic for. Right. You know, see, there you go. But um, yeah. yeah, so at Comicsology through the first, it's part of their small press sci-fi sale. You okay. Get the, the Vatican assassin graphic novel, art by Christian Navarro, and color by. Juan Carlos Quatorio and lettering and everything else by me. So excellent. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Mike. Um, and Thank you, uh, yeah, and come back anytime. This was great. I, I always love chatting with you. Well, you know what? You can keep me as a backup guest. Somebody cancels, you get in touch. I'll, I'll show up and just talk. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. <laughs> All right, let me get so let me hit the get the uh, my uh, my button on here to do the intro. So is that that's a new pair of headphones, isn't it, Mike? Um, no, I think I've had these for quite some time. So really, yeah. for some reason, I remember last year you had white headphones. They just uh, yeah, they're nice. But I'm I don't, I don't know. Did you have the white? Would have to. I'd have to look at the. I'd have to look at our. Our, our previous interview then i think you came on was it episode five it was pretty early it was like yeah. february or yeah it was early like march. march yeah yeah i'd have to i have to check that i have to look at that so let me I say i have that there let me i mean I, i've worked in radio so i have a few pairs of headphones it could have been a different pair yeah i think it was i would you were you came on Oh, okay. That was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You were episode eight. Wow. Okay. Look at that. Cool.